from uh, the not the highest point in Florida State's campus and uh, each of our own hottest rooms in Seminole Sports. This is Tomahawk Talk live, not live, on uh, on. Brett Rutherford joined by my good friend and co-host Gary Putnick. Gary, you are quarantining in your bedroom in South Florida. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. I mean, granted, we're pretty much stuck at home and only left to our own devices down here, but we've had a lot of good days weather-wise in South Florida, so it's been nice to kind of sit around the pool, hang around, but not go to the beach and staying in. (laughs) So... Before we introduce our, our panelists, which are also on our Skype call, uh, I guess Gary and I are going to have to fill everyone in on what's going on. Uh, last week, we didn't have a Tomahawk Talk episode. I don't know when the last time that happened was, but we're, we're all kind of going through some, some unprecedented circumstances um, surrounding the coronavirus um, that has pretty much shut down the entire country to an extent, and we're pretty much not allowed back at the radio station at WVFS for the time being. We really don't know how long that's going to last. Definitely at least through the spring semester, which kind of sucks, especially for uh, the seniors at WVFS, including myself and Tyler. Um, But it's something that we've got to just deal with and move forward. Uh, So we're going to try to have Tomahawk Talk podcasts every week. Maybe get a Talk and Chop podcast as well. Maybe a Graveyard Shift podcast. We'll figure it out because we want to make sure uh, that we're still providing content for you guys. Obviously, there's no more Florida State sports for the rest of this semester. Um, so we're not going to have any coverage from those games uh, because there are no games. Um, but we will have other opportunities to put content out and, and uh, keep all of our fans uh, in the loop when it comes to the world of sports, even though it doesn't seem like there is much going on to this point. But uh, yeah, Gary, this is this kind of sucks. It really does. I mean, Alex Crutchick and I did a show right on the Wednesday, or what was it, like right before we all went off for break. And yeah. I, the episode was titled The Worst Day in Sports History because all of that prior to it, like everything was getting canceled. And at the time, we thought golf and NASCAR were going to be the only two things to survive. Granted, we figured out only NASCAR, but racing would be the only thing that would survive. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, and I listened to that podcast and, uh, I think things have kind of gotten worse since you guys recorded, but we, we don't want to spend too much time on that. Yeah. We want to make this kind of sports is, is, and you guys talked about this a lot in the podcast. Sports is an escape for, for, you know, people like us and people that listen to the shows. And uh, now that that's kind of been taken away, we still want to provide that. We still want to provide some sort of entertainment. Some, you know, we want to inform um, all of our, all of our listeners. So let's, let's get on with the show. Uh, oh yeah. Joining the panel tonight is that senior I just mentioned, Tyler Phillips, who was in Tallahassee. Am I right? Yeah, I'm still here, still hanging around. So you're actually right down the street from me, uh, right there. Uh, I'm not going to say where you live, but uh, right down the street. So also quarantining. And uh, Tyler, uh, how, was you, how was your spring break, if it was a break at all? It was, it was a break because I didn't do practically anything. I played video games. I went outside maybe like once or twice over that whole week. Uh, it was truly R and R, resting and relaxing. So it was a break. Yeah, it, it was. And even though we're not in, having in-person classes right now, we're back to the online class grind today um, for people that have classes. So 
yeah, it's uh, kind of back to reality, even though it doesn't feel like it. And uh, rounding out our panel tonight uh, is Luke Hazen. Luke, also Tallahassee, Tallahassee native. Uh, <laughs> Luke, what, what what have you been doing to, to kind of keep your mind uh, occupied? Well, you guys, you are looking live. And for those who are listening, I am live from my brother's bedroom back at my old house here in Tallahassee because it, it provides the best audio and video quality uh, among all the uh, rooms. But that just tells you how bad it's gotten up here in Tallahassee that I'm having to go back to my house, away from campus, away from everything uh, FSU-related. Um, and really, I've just been looking at old sports highlights to keep my mind occupied, to keep it fresh, uh, since there are no live sports. Like, this should be March Madness right now. Um, yeah. And instead, I'm Don't remind up, me. <laughs> old, instead, I'm looking up compilations of March Madness's past. So it's been a struggle for sure. Yeah. And so I guess we'll, we'll start with that. I've, I've listened to, I've caught up on a bunch of other podcasts from around the country, uh, these last week and a half and pretty much all of them start off with, uh, what has everyone been doing to pass the time with no sports and what your day's doing. So yeah, I guess we got to start with that. Yeah. What have you been doing to just, past the hours from the day because it's been a long week and a half or two weeks since really everything kind of started to change well it's uh i've just been doing a whole lot of nothing for the most part i know tyler said he's playing a lot of video games i've been playing a lot of video games myself mainly the golf club 2019 so continue with the golf and then uh hanging outside trying to go run a bit stay active because you can't just stay inside all the time i know it's easy for us to kind of just lock ourselves in and just say, I'm doing this, I'm staying here, and then kind of go start to go a little bit crazy. But um, also been starting to uh, watch and catch up on a lot of Dan Levitard highlights. So that's been a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, I've been uh, playing MLB The Show. That just came out out of the park baseball. Two baseball video games just came out. I've been grinding those, trying to uh, recreate baseball season because I don't know what it's going to look like this year. I've been <laughs> Watching movies. I finally watched Gangs of New York. I had never seen that. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh, my God. He's incredible. Um, watching, catching up on some YouTube channels that I missed some of their content. Um, I, I tell, I told myself I was going to read during spring break and however long this, this you know, quarantine was going to last. Uh, and I haven't picked up a book. So I have failed on my – I failed on my commitment too to read. I'm if I turn around here, you could probably there's a book on my bedside table there, and it is remained unopened. <laughs> well, Gary, you, I I got text from you about starting some sort of sports book club, and yeah, just but no one not no one's responding. Oh. On, no one responded to me. I'm down to I do mean, it. I'm, no one... I'm down to do some sort of of content watching club, whether it's like. We play a video game or we watch a TV series or a documentary or a movie or even read a book or read something or consume something and then convene maybe like through Skype like we are now and talk what about we, it. Maybe that would make a good podcast. Everyone, what, what, should, we everyone, what? I was going to say, what we should do on MLB The Show, if you can get your hands on it, we should do a custom league, an online league where everyone yeah. comes. I know they had problems with the servers today, but I know Dallas Braden and the guys over at Barstool they started a starting nine custom league that they've been doing. And it seems like a lot of fun. So I would be up for that for sure. Well, the problem there, Gary, I don't have a PlayStation. I have an Xbox. <laughs> so no, well, there you go. Go get a PS4. No. <laughs> but Gary, in my Tyler. defense, uh, I 
never received a text about this book club. I, I would will, totally be down to I join. Will give it to you. I sent it to some other people, and I got crickets. <laughs> I sent a list. I'll read. You. I can try and find this list that I sent. You guys can keep going. I'll jump in when I get my list back. But I had a list of like three or four books, like ranging from FSU books. I sent. I think one of them was one of the Bobby Bowden books, and then just some other books that I just kind of scrolled through um, Amazon and just saw which one piqued my interest. And I'll come back with this this list here in a minute. But yeah, the uh, Bowden Bowden Dynasty is a really good book, uh, mm-hmm. and I have that book. So if you were to get that one, I'd definitely be down to do a book club. Well, well I know yeah. there's also some uh, series on the ACC network where they talk about Florida State. I think there's a Bowden Dynasty series and some other Florida State content. So maybe for next week's Tomahawk Talk or for a Talking Chop, or we we all watch something and then reconvene so and recap. I have. I have the list here that I sent to some people. I sent, upon further review, The Greatest What-Ifs in Sports History by Mike Pesca. That sounds like an interesting one about like all the calls that could have been cha- turned over. What if? That's a fun one. Uh, the Road Back to March. The, ro- the Back Roads to March. The Unsung, Unheralded, and Unknown Heroes of College Basketball Season by John Feinstein. And then The Bowden Way or Tales from the FSU Sideline. Those were two that kind of piqued my interest there but i got some i got some i got some ideas and maybe we'll put them out on the polls or anything and then we'll come back yeah i would read the bowden one but other than that like i haven't been able to read anything else because you get this you go through this thing where it's like you know when you're when you're busy on the day-to-day grind with work or school or whatever you do and you say wow i wish i had some more free time to you know play video games or to watch movies or to watch tv or to do whatever you want to do go fishing go play golf do whatever um but then when you actually have this free time, you have so much free time that you're like, how do I spend all this free time? And then you just sit yeah. like an hour goes by and you're like, oh, wow, like I've just been doing nothing or I've been watching TikToks, which I have been doing. <laughs> oh, come on. Get get off. Get off that. I, Go get a like, book. Never. Never. Forever, forever, I was like, I'll never find these things funny. And now they are, they are what keeps me going. They, oh, that's why I wake up in the morning. The algorithm has played into Brett's favor. He finally has a list of TikTok, a, a, a bunch of videos that he finds funny. So, no, but with me, with me, I'm like Brett. I'm way, a way, way bigger movie guy than a book guy. And movies are a huge part of my life. I go to my friends all the time, and I work in a movie theater. And unfortunately, the theater here in town shut down. So not only am I out of a job, but one of my main sources of entertainment was taken away from me. So I've been trying to catch up with old movies of the past, but it's it's a big struggle for sure. Yeah, I got around to Jojo Rabbit, Ford vs. Ferrari, some of the last year's uh, Oscar nominees, and now oh, yeah. I'm going to go back. Because I, do, I, do, I did put together a list of, like, quote-unquote classics that I just never seen, and now i got to go back and try to watch all those. Gangs of New York was on that list, and some other Scorsese films, some other... Good uh, films? Daniel Day you seen good films? films? Yeah. Goodfellas, I've seen Goodfellas, yeah. Okay. Tyler? I, I've been uh, learning how to cook. I know that sounds kind of mm-hmm. crazy, but I, you know, for me, I only cooked ramen noodles and warm-up meals before this uh, quarantine, and I've been watching all these different cooking videos, and I, I think I'm pretty getting pretty good at it. I'm not going to lie. The thing is, I was going to, like, cook this whole week, and I went to the grocery store yesterday, and they, had, they didn't have anything. Nothing. It's, not, it's no longer just toilet paper. It's no longer just whatever else was sold out. It's like they had no chicken. Public had no chicken. 
Well, there's I'm... there's this uh, cooking show, and I can't remember the name off at the top of my head, but they they do it with like leftovers. So like you could combine different oh. things, um, and it's really cool. It's really cool because like most of the times you'll never have you get all these fancy videos with like cooking, and they'll add the la the lemon and the lime, and you're like, well, I don't have lemon, so then you got to substitute it. So that's really the struggle here with a lot of grocery stores being out of stuff. So. I've learned how to substitute things in for other uh, other uh, ingredients. Yeah, yeah, when I went to the grocery store, yeah, yeah. yeah, when I went to the grocery store, I bought a lot of crap. Uh, <laughs> so I've decided I've I've made an agreement with myself to not uh, weigh myself, check the scale, step on oh, the scale geez. for the. Oh, uh, I'm just that's just now I can't. But I know we're, we could spend we could probably spend a lot of time talking about what we've been doing to pass the time, but this is Tomahawk Talk. We do have to talk Florida State sports, and although there are no new sports to talk about, the last time we were on air, we were previewing the uh, ACC men's basketball tournament, which Florida State was named the, the champions of. Uh, mm-hmm. We said After. we would bring you the results. We said we would bring you the results when they when they were given to us, and Florida State by ACC bylaws since the uh, tournament was canceled, like two days in, uh, they were the highest remaining or the highest remaining seed in the That's tournament, right. and, and they were given the trophy in Greensboro by the ACC commissioner. And uh, I mean, we could talk about like you know whether or not it's an actual trophy, um, but since the ACC, I don't think they actually recognize the regular season champion. This is kind of an extension of like you guys won the regular season. Here's the title. I don't expect Florida State to hang another banner. We talked about the regular season banner that they hung up where they won that regular season title. I don't expect them to hang a new one. Um, but they finished the season. Uh, what was the final record? It was was it twenty five and six? It was twenty six and five. Oh, it's close. So close. Almost twenty six and five. <laughs> They finished the season number four in the AP poll, the second highest finish in program history, uh, second only to that 1972 National Runners-Up campaign where they lost to uh, John Wooden's UCLA in the national title game. Um, but yeah, one of the best seasons. And you could probably argue that it was the best season in Florida State men's basketball history. And it really sucks that we don't get to see how it would finish. Um, but Florida State basketball... A year that I pegged them, not to be a transition year, but to be a year where they took a step back, uh, reassessed the talent they had, they added some pieces, but the goal was to really keep seasoning guys like Devin Russell and MJ Walker and and Pat Williams, you could hold on to them for another year, and then add that talent for next year to be the year. But it turned out to be much, much better than that. They lose... um, one game in their non-conference schedule. They lose uh, four games in the ACC. They go six. For the ACC. Um, and incredible year. Trent Forrest, MJ Walker, Devin Russell, Malik Osborne was big this year. Obviously, Pat Williams, Wyatt Wilk stepped up and played a big role this year. Uh, but, yeah, let's let's talk about Florida State basketball. Um did anyone the Florida State not meet expectations for anyone? <laughs> they didn't meet my expectations. They exceeded them greatly. It was 
insane to see this team kind of go on the run that they did because none of us expected that. And it's weird to see them play this well because typically when you think of Florida State, it's football school. It's it's the basketball team is just kind of there. And the women's team is always generally exceeding the men's team's expectations. And this year kind of was a little bit flipped. The women had high expectations coming into the year. They kind of floundered a little bit. But the men's team just kept on rising and rising and rising. And it was crazy to see. And I was just waiting the whole time. When is this going to end? And it didn't. They did Yeah. They definitely exceeded my expectations. And it got to the point during the season where I was kind of scared of the success that they were going to have later on in the season because I was one of the main detractors of this team early on. I did not have high hopes for this team heading into the season. And so to see them absolutely prove me wrong uh, over the course of the season, become regular season ACC champs for the first time ever, it was insane to witness as a student at FSU. Um, certainly not a season I will forget. Uh, and I'm, I'm happy that I have two more years here at FSU to go and see them. Yeah, way to rub that in, Luke. Way to rub that in. <laughs> um, let's go. Let's go around and let's pick. Let's each pick one game. It could be the same game. Um, one defining game. What, what was your favorite game? Your favorite moment uh, of the Florida State season through their thirty-one game schedule? Gary, we'll, we'll start with you. I mean, it's this is the easiest one probably out of all of them to pick, and I'm sorry to Tyler and Luke and you, Brett, that I'm probably going to steal, but it's the home game against Louisville. Again, early on and later on in the year, they won 82-67. to 67. They were down, was it 13 at the most at one point, and they came roaring back in the second half, fought their way, and it was – I we weren't able to be there because we were recording – we were live on air on Tomahawk Talk that night. Yeah. But – just hearing from the TV, the sound that was produced at the Tucker Center was insane. Something that I never heard before. And we texted people that were in the Tucker Center that night, like, what was it like just being in there? And they said it was insane. It was the best atmosphere they've ever heard. And even Jay Billis, ESPN's Jay Billis, said that was one of the greatest atmospheres he's been in. Well, I was actually there. And so yeah. what happened I was, was well, yeah. It, yeah, what happened was about midway through the second half, Florida State was down 11 or 13, uh, somewhere in that range. And down in the null zone, there was the student in the jumpsuit. He came up to the, the student section and he got everybody in the student se- section absolutely hyped. And so for the next 13 minutes of game time, it was nonstop. And it wasn't just the student section. It was the alumni section which you just never really see that at a, a lot of the games. They got into it. Um, and so I I don't want to say that Florida State fans won Florida State that game, but I almost want to say Florida State fans won Florida State that game because at that point they had no energy. They had no, no sense of wanting to win this game. And then Florida State fans got up behind them and just everything went their way. Yeah, that was an, an incredible an incredible game. And it was one that I really, really wish I could have been there for. Um, but watching that comeback unfold in the second half on, on TV was, was nothing short of incredible. And obviously in that game, we had the uh, Pat Williams uh, massive dunk after that steal uh, right around midcourt. And then Trent Forrest dunking on Jordan Noara um, to really – that was pretty much the dagger. I mean, the game was, oh, yeah. was Dunk of the sealed year, for sure. at that point. And 
Yeah, so is Tyler. Would that be your win of the season, your game of the season? Uh, no, it was the Boston College game, and that's just because I was there covering it. Um, and I know it wasn't a great game overall. Boston College was definitely the inferior team. It showed every way, shape, and form. They didn't actually have a real center. It was kind of unfair, in my opinion. Um, but Florida State just came out, and they dominated that. They knew they had to win to at least share the ACC title, uh, and they came out and dominated, and they got a little help from uh, the friends in uh, Charlottesville uh, and uh, you know, ended up claiming that title. I was able to go on the floor, and as a lifelong fan of Florida State, a student, uh, it was just so cool to be about two feet away from Leonard Hamilton and the rest of the team and the happiest moment in Florida State basketball history. Um, so it was just a great all-around experience. That was my favorite game of the season. I think I know. I think that's warranted. It was one that I was going to consider. And again, I, I might steal from either one of you. I haven't made my decision yet. Uh, but that Boston College game was incredible. And it was awesome to see um, Dominic Lanichuk, uh put up huge numbers because of that mismatch down low against that Boston College team on his senior day. And Balsa Kopravica as well, um, the last home game of the regular season. And his he family was there. Yeah, that's right. They had never flown over from Poland to see him play um, throughout his collegiate career. He spent most of it at uh, Ole Miss, but then obviously this last season at Florida State. A huge day for him to do that, and, and also Kopravica to come back from injury and also put up big numbers in that game was really mm-hmm. cool. And uh, yeah, obviously cutting down the nets was an, an incredible moment, and, it, and, it, and it's only more incredible now after how we know the season ended. They didn't get another opportunity to compete for for another title, which they thought that we were gonna we were gonna get that chance. They were gonna get that chance in Greensboro, and then hopefully a little bit down the line in Atlanta, um, they never got that chance. And so not every school or not every program cuts down the nets after winning a regular season title. I know a lot do, but not all not all do. And Florida State decided to do that. They decided to have the banner. They, they had the, the celebration. And I'm so happy they did because that team deserved a championship celebration. Um, the fan base deserved a championship celebration for – the efforts throughout the season for Memphis, especially the students, especially the Noel Zone. We talked about the Noel Zone. We talked about it the entire year, the entire basketball season, um, what they brought to the atmosphere at the Tucker Center. So I'm, I'm so happy they did that. It's really, yeah, it was, it's a, it's a hallmark moment for Florida State, for Florida State basketball. Another one of my favorite sets of games from this season was the Emerald Coast Classic because that was at the early parts of the season where Florida State really hadn't played any tough competition. I know they played the Florida Gators. They kind of ran through them again. But were, when they played Tennessee and Purdue in that Emerald Coast Classic, we got to see them go back-to-back nights against two tough opponents and see if this team's for real. And they proved it. They fought hard. They uh, had squeaked out that overtime win against Purdue by three points. And that really kind of set the tone for the rest of the season. Like, hey, this team is here and they're for real. And I know they ended up getting worked the, in the next couple of days when they went up to Indiana. They got smoked by by them and the Hoosiers. That was just a weird game all around because Indiana was just on fire. They couldn't miss a shot, it felt like. But that series at the Emerald Coast Classic was kind of a, a turning point for this team. Gary just swooping in there, stealing my favorite oh, games sorry. of the season. <laughs> Shoot, I'm stealing everyone. Unbelievable. I'm sorry. He goes like, right Gary back to the front. 
I for another moment. I didn't hear you go for I heard a pause. I was like, okay, I'm just going to I was in. being cordial. I was up next. Luke, I was waiting for my turn. I'm so Luke sorry. Luke and I haven't had a chance yet. Gary's going in for seconds already. I don't want it all. Yeah, man. I'm hungry. All right. I'm hungry in quarantine. Publix is empty. <laughs> <laughs> that, that gauntlet that they ran through against Tennessee, a Sweet 16 team from last year, and Purdue, an Elite 8 team from last year, that was my favorite moment of the year. Just because I'm, I'm also a big fan of those early season tournaments, just seeing the different teams match up against each other. But if I had to give another favorite moment of the season, it had to be the game at home against Notre Dame, the 85-84 win. So much happened in that game from controversy with the refs to Leonard Hamilton and Mike Bray going back and forth. And, of course, the legendary press conference after the game by Mike Bray, which we got an unbelievable meme out of Austin Reynolds, our WVFS reporter. Um, That was another favorite moment of mine. And shout out to Wyatt Wilkes going off for 19 in that game. It was just a really mid-season classic. That was such an exciting game, an entertaining (laughs) game. And it was one that, like, I walked into the building that night thinking yeah this should be pretty easy you got to watch out for uh what's his name? mooney mooney uh john mooney down low he might be a you know a threat but other than that this should be an easy win for florida state it looked like it was going to be in the second half notre dame kind of stuck around kept it close made it real close in florida state yeah that was a great great regular season match and then the follow-up the the road game at notre dame was another classic a come from behind victory by fsu yeah, there's was, a yeah. few teams yeah. in the ACC that when I watch them and play Florida State, I kind of get nervous. And, and Notre Dame is definitely one of those teams in every single sport. And it, it, whether Notre Dame is good, Florida State's bad, Florida State's good, Notre Dame's bad, it always seems to be a close game. And I kind of that night, kind of walking in the building, I was there. Uh, I kind of felt like it could be an upset night. And you know, like you said, Brett, in the first half, definitely kind of went away and then Florida State went cold and it was like oh man Florida State can't make a shot to save their lives it was like a lid was on the rim uh and just for them to find a way to win at home was exciting one of the highlights of the season definitely good pick Luke all right thank so you now it's my turn now it's finally my turn and I, I, I was shocked this one wasn't wasn't said before but uh I'm gonna go with that win back on January 4th at the KFC Yum Center against the Louisville Cardinals. I know we mentioned the home win against Louisville. This was the, the second game once the ACC shifted towards like their full conference slate. I know we had those two uh, earlier games in the schedule that were back in the 2019 calendar year. Um, Florida State went at Pitt and then was at home against Clemson. This, this win at Louisville, though, was a game I did not expect Florida State to win. It was a game that even though they had such a great non-conference schedule, they only lost – um, and then one or the, only their second true road game at Indiana at Assembly Hall um, after winning at Florida and winning, pulling off an, a bunch of other really great non-conference wins. They go to Louisville, and I still wasn't sure what to expect out of this team. I still wasn't sure how great this team was going to be. And they had a Louisville from start to finish. It really wasn't a contest. They ended up winning that one 78-65. to 65, um, And it, it was when, when my eyes really got wide about this team. I was like, this team – has a shot to win the ACC regular season. This team has a shot to go to a Final Four. Um, Trent Forrest, 20 points in that game. And I know this year he didn't light up the scoreboard a lot because that's not necessarily the type of player he is. He has so many other uh, strong facets of his game. But he went uh, 9 for 11 from the field and put up 20 points, had five assists and three rebounds 
in that game. Devin Rochelle also had 14. Um, he went two for six from three. He had six rebounds. Um, and then MJ Walker was an incredible game from him as well. 23 points, four for six, or five for seven from three, rather, three assists. That was probably one of the best games in his Florida State career. Uh, and, and what a huge hallmark win that was for Florida State moving forward into that ACC schedule. Uh, and, it, and it turned into, uh, it was like win number six of a 10 or 11 game winning streak before they lost at Virginia. Um, it, yeah, it was uh, my win of the season because it really, I think, was the catalyst for everything we saw for the rest of that regular season. Um, I think some uh, honorable mentions, obviously the win at Florida, was at the time seen as much, much bigger. Um, and I know Luke has got a, a bit of a smirk on the other end here. Um, <laughs> it was seen as much bigger because at the time they were a top 10 team. I know preseason rankings don't mean a whole lot, but it was a rivalry win. Um, Florida had a great offseason with the freshmen they brought in and obviously getting uh, Kerry Blackshear from Virginia Tech to transfer. Um, that was a huge win. The Purdue win, I know Gary mentioned it at the Emerald Coast Classic, a Hard-fought, ugly basketball game um, over there in Destin. And uh, Florida State pulled out a win, 63-60 in overtime. The win at home against Virginia, 54-50. You saw Florida State really shift the way they play to try to adapt and match what Tony Bennett does at uh, Virginia. They pulled that one off, 54-50. That was another close one. Um, I think, well, the North Carolina win, because that was looking dicey in the first half as well. North Carolina took a step back. We know the talent they have on that roster, though. They don't, we don't have Cole Anthony, who was back for that game. Um, an, another big win for Florida State. Um, and and uh, I, I hope we get Syracuse, too. Another one that, that was close. Buddy, uh, not Buddy Beheim. Who was on that team? Jim Beheim, who was the coach of that Syracuse team, uh, you know, has, has always given Florida State trouble in the past. And uh, that, was, that was another big win for the program. Are we missing any, any other wins that are, that are really important to mention? I wouldn't I say would... wins, but I mean the the Duke loss. I mean, granted, it was it, still a great. It was game, some yeah. questionable calls. Yeah, it was a great game. That's what it comes down to. So I, I'd still put that up on my like, games of the year list for Florida State, regardless of it being a loss. And, and, you know, loss and yeah, too. yeah, the loss yeah. of Clemson, the loss yeah. of Virginia on the road. When you have a great season like when you have a great season like FSU did, it's way easier to look back on some of these losses and still admire and cherish the game that it was. Because so many of these games that FSU lost were close losses. You can still kind of relish as building blocks that the team had to go through in order to get to where they ended up. Um, but yeah, looking back at something, the Duke game in particular, it was such a high-profile game. I mean, Florida State, a top-ranked Duke team against a top-ranked Florida State team in prime time, it doesn't get any better than that. So that was another one of my favorites. And then real quick, I think we're going to move on to women's basketball and then talk a little oh. bit about spring sports. Oh, before we move on, I got I got my bone to pick still. I know I wrote my column for the FS View about a week ago or so. Oh, yeah. But okay. Florida State, I know I, I get I understand the sentiment. I know. So if you guys if no one knows this, Florida State Senator uh, Joe Gruders uh, proposed a resolution to the Florida State Senate to declare Florida State University men's basketball team the 2020 national champions. It ended up passing by a, a big margin. No, oh, I think only like two people voted against it, probably Gator fans, but still they passed the resolution. So Florida state in the Florida state Senate eyes are the national champions for this season. 
which I just think is ridiculous. And I know everyone's like, oh, but it's such a nice gesture for like this Florida State graduate to kind of give them this national title. I was like, but it's not. It's yes, it's it's nice. It's a participation trophy, but they didn't earn it. They they earned getting the ACC regular season title. They, you could say they earned they had at least a little bit more of a claim to the ACC tournament title. But the national tournament title? No, there's 64 teams that can make that can make an impact. And we know for a fact it probably wouldn't have ended up going Florida State's way. That's just the nature of the tournament. And he I don't know if he understood that or is just like, I want to make a headline and I want to be UCF, but it's not the way to go about these things. Well, okay. It's different than UCF because in UCF, yeah. there was a national champion that year. They had Alabama a claim. A you could say they had a claim through the wheel of parody, that whole thing, because they beat Al- Auburn, who beat Alabama, who won the national title. So there's technically it, somewhat of a claim. So did JMU. Did they beat somebody to beat somebody to beat somebody? I mean, yeah, probably. There are a lot of teams that probably could have made a claim through the wheel of, you know. The transitive property. But with with this, I mean, yeah, it, it doesn't – at the end of the day, like, this, it's kind of trivial. It doesn't mean a whole lot. Yeah. I don't – you know, Florida State's not going to hang the banner for it. Um, but also, uh, I, yeah, I think – I don't really care. I mean, I, I think it's kind of kind of cool because at the end of the day, there is no national champion. So Florida State's claim is just as good as anyone else's I, is, is the argument there. Yeah, and I mean, I'm – I'm just looking for an argument at this point because I, we have nothing else to talk about yeah. because there are no sports. So I'm really exactly. just trying to get someone to argue with me, just saying, hey, I want a friend to talk with right now. But yeah, and like uh, to prove to further prove my point, in so on Reddit they've been on college basketball Reddit they've been running an NCAA tournament all on one of the old 2K NCAA games, and Florida State was pegged to go up against uh, NDSU in the first round which they lost. And Grant, I know virtual coach Leonard Hamilton wasn't able to run a 10-team or 10-man lineup <laughs> to wear down North Dakota State. But Florida State still lost. So, I mean, it just kind of goes to show you that a 215 upset's still possible and it, the tournament's just that unpredictable. Well, question, did they did they implement the rosters? Oh yeah, the yeah, they did. They did. Yeah, Trent okay. Force yeah. played at Trent, yeah, like it was I think they adjusted like uh, the sliders too for the players to make it as realistic as possible. And Florida State ended up losing by a close margin. That's interesting. <laughs> no, I I think a lot of Florida State basketball fans, the people that follow this team closely, I think they probably agree with you, Gary, in that no no trophy like being handed the championship from a Florida senator is going to make up for what this season could exactly. have been in the end. So I think a, I think a lot of people share the same sentiment. I certainly do. I don't think there's any pride in taking this nomination from a senator. Um, as reality but it is a nice gesture it's and it's it is nice. different than ucf it is different than ucf yeah it's different than ucf florida We're, state was named the presumptive they, they're mm-hmm. presuming that florida state would have won instead of going back and handing ucf a trophy after exactly. we just saw alabama beat clemson out there mm-hmm. yeah and after we saw and then ucf goes and hangs a banner in their stadium i yeah. guarantee you there'll be no banner hung up by florida state saying joe gruders gave us a national title <laughs> I don't know uh, what Jordan 2020 about. has brought us. Who knows what will happen? There might be a banner. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, was, I would not. Maybe. I don't know if I'd be a fan of FSU hanging a banner for that. I don't no. know about that. Not a fan. No, they won't. They won't. Um, They're smart. Before, before we do this on, 
we, we do have one more Florida State men's basketball story, and that was announced today, the day of recording. That's Monday, the 23rd. Um, that uh, sophomore Devin Vassell declaring for the NBA draft after two years at Florida State, total of 63 games played, over 1,200 minutes logged, 529 total points. He would have been well on his way to the 1,000-point club had he stuck around um, after putting up 380 this year. Uh, but something that I think was kind of inevitable, we were all kind of expecting. Um, but uh, thoughts on, on Devin Vassell and his career and his NBA prospects moving forward? Gary? On his, uh, he's going to he's gonna make an impact. I mean, he's not going to be right away, but down the line, if he can work his way through the G League, he's going to be just like Terrence Mann and Fiondo Cabangeli. It's not going to be right away thrown onto a roster, but it's going to take some time. And he really can develop, but I really one thing that I want to see him do, I want to see him put on some muscle. I want to see him put on a little bit more weight, kind of like we always say with James Blackman, at quarterback for Florida State. We want to see him bulk up a little bit, but who knows? That might end up changing his game and might end up messing it up a little bit. I think I think Devin's a little bit better of a prospect from a physical standpoint than than Terrence was, and from a skill standpoint mm-hmm. as well. I think he I think he gets drafted a little higher than uh, Fee and Terrence did last year. But you're right. He there are certain aspects that he still needs to work on. But that goes with any draft prospect. I do yeah. think it was the right decision for Devin to leave. Of course, um, it just sucks that it had to be after this season where so much was left unanswered, unfinished. It sucks that he's moving on, but I do think it was the right decision for Devin. Absolutely. Tyler? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I we, we all really expected it. Um, I think, you know, there was this, uh, as an FSU fan, uh, you kind of want that selfishness. You're like, all right, well, we want him to come back. And, you know, with him, with uh, – with uh, Scotty Barnes coming coming in next year, you know what could this be? You know, speculating. Uh, you know, you know how good they were this year. Um, you know, what could they be next year? You know, could they end up winning 27 games? Uh, you know, winning the ACC again, maybe running for a national title. But with that being said, I still think that's all on the table. I think Devin Vassell was a key part of this offense. But he wasn't the only part of this offense. There were nights when Vassell wouldn't give you, uh, you know, the, uh, the he wouldn't lead in the scoring, and that was what Coach Leonard Hamilton was saying. It's a it's a everybody contributes. It's by committee, um, and so I think even with him leaving, FSU has uh, such a high ceiling next year, uh, and I think he will. Like uh, I think Gary or Luke said, I zoned off for a second. He will have to go through the G League uh, and kind of make his way into the NBA. Uh, but I think it's definitely possible that he does. It'll be interesting to see how he kind of works his way around playing in other systems. Because I know he's it, he's really mm-hmm. thrived in the system that Florida State and Coach Leonard Hamilton and his staff have yep. created. So I'm going to be I'm going to want to watch his career more closely than some other guys just to see how he kind of adjusts. Yeah, yeah for it- sure. Yeah, it'll be interesting so, to see where he goes in the draft. I've seen him as high as like 14 was the highest I've seen him in a mock, but anywhere else in the first round, 14 to 30. Um, so he can go anywhere in there. Hopefully he doesn't slip into the second round, but I guess it's possible. Um, and this draft class is a little bit different than last year's, so I'm not quite sure where he would fit into a roster. He might be able to get NBA minutes right away, depending on where he goes. Um, I'm, but I, Yeah, I'm wondering how workouts and combines for the NBA draft are going to go now. We still don't have any information on how they're going to conduct those and how it could impact certain players like Devin Vassell. He could absolutely yeah. wow scouts at his at his combine, at his 
at his scouting performance, and we might never get to see that. Obviously, we're not going to speculate on this show. That's not what we're about. <laughs> but it'll be interesting to see how these worldly factors have impacted Devin Vassell down the line and his draft well, And I know this is a new rule it's, uh, implemented by the NCAA last year, and it, it, it's in place again this year. I don't know if it's going to be impacted by everything we're going through, but even when a player declares for the NBA draft, they can meet with an agent, and there's a deadline before they can decide to then come back to school. So if they declare for the draft, uh, sign with an agent, and then it, like halfway into the process realize maybe this isn't the right time, they can decide to go back. And again, we're not going to speculate on what's going to happen, but we don't know the decision would have to be made or the NBA's time. Because we don't even know if they're going to finish this season. Um, but that is something to keep in, uh, you know, keep in mind. Not saying that Devin Russell, there's any chance Florida State gets him back. I don't think that's going to happen. I think he's made his mind up. But we have no idea how things are going to play out throughout the rest of this year. Um, and then the, the only other guys that Florida State's kind of waiting on, or the only other guy Florida State is waiting on is, is Pat Williams, who was a true freshman this year, a potential one-and-done candidate, a five-star recruit. Um, didn't Never started a game for Florida State, or maybe started one. Um, but was one of their best players, even off the bench, very similar to what Biondu Kamengeli brought to the Knolls as their sixth man last year. ACC uh, sixth man of the year, yeah. Yeah, he won ACC sixth man of the year, exactly. that's right. Well, we might well, not have heard the last of Trent Forrest. Uh, the NCAA, I believe, has till March 30th to decide whether winter athletes get that extra year of eligibility like they're giving the spring athletes like baseball, softball, golf, and all that. They're giving the spring athletes an extra year of eligibility. They have till the 30th to decide, or they're giving themselves a meeting, I believe, on the 30th, to decide if they're going to get these basketball players another chance. So, yeah, Trent, I, I think that's hard. I mean, basketball, out of all the sports with the extra year of eligibility, might be the easiest since you've got such small rosters, and a signing class might only have one or two players in it. So it's easier to manage the scholarship numbers because I know the NCAA is already going to run into that with, with baseball and some of these other mm, spring yeah. sports. With giving the extra year of eligibility, which they've already pretty much decided they're going to do, but now they have to make the decisions based off of, uh, you know, how a number of scholarships or number of players you can bring in, um, how, and how you're going to fit those that. rosters in. With players that may have already been, you know, committed to or signed with these schools to start next year. So, yeah, a lot of question marks. Here's my question: If you're Trent Forrest and you just laid everything out on the line for this season, your final season at FSU, or what you thought was. Like, do you just – it's tough. It's tough coming back and saying, yeah, that actually wasn't my last year. I have a little bit yeah. more to give. Yeah, that's right. Or, or do you just move on? Like, I would be conflictive if I were him because in my mind, Trent Forrest gave everything he had to FS, the FSU program with the full intention that he would end it with a championship in his final year there. And so to kind of rewrite history and go back to FSU – it's, it's definitely tempting for sure, but I don't – part of me thinks that he would just want to move on with his life afterwards. Yeah, I think he's kind of – he's ready to ride off into the sunset, give him like the John Elway, the Peyton Manning, end off on a title and just hit the road. But and he's going to be missed yeah, I hope, greatly. And I hope this, like, this whole thing with spring – or sorry, uh, winter sports, I hope the decisions that these players make, if they're granted – another year of eligibility i hope if they decide to move on it doesn't impact their relationship with fans because if anyone comes out and says anything bad on trent force's name if he decides to move on with his life i think they're completely out of line with that yeah yeah he's i don't, gotta, I don't yeah. think that would happen 
Yeah, yeah, he has a right to kind of, if he wants to go play professionally overseas or in America, he has that right. And if he just wants to get on with a career in non-athletic or not being an athlete anymore, he's yeah. got that choice. Yeah, I, I have no idea. And we're, we're going to have to just wait and see. I don't expect the NCAA to give those athletes another year of, uh, of eligibility. I think that would make things really tough, especially since they played a almost a whole season for some for some of those you know teams. Their season was already over. Um, but you know, we'll see. Uh, we have no, we have no idea what's going to happen. We're not going to spend too much time speculating on that. But real quick, let's touch on uh, on women's basketball and uh, and then spring sports because then we're going to have a lot of other stuff to talk about. NFL free agency we're going to have coming up later. Um, but Gary, women's basketball had the best start in program history to a season. I think they went thirteen and zero to start the year. Had some big wins. They they beat Florida. They went at LSU and won. They beat ranked Michigan State in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. They stomped Texas A&M um, in Fort Worth. They then went on and won a bunch of other games, uh, some big ones including um, at Louisville. Um, back in February, a big win against one of the top ten teams in the country in Louisville. And then they rode that all the way to the ACC Tournament title game where they fell uh, ultimately to NC State 71 66 but gary you know just just talk to me a little bit about this this women's basketball team and what you saw from them this year and what you were impressed by well it was a roller coaster of a season i mean they were like you said they were the hottest team in basketball practically at the beginning of this year winning those 13 straight games and then once the calendar hit 2020 everything started to go a little bit haywire they weren't they just kept going up and down. They'd win a game, lose a game, win a game, lose a game, win a game, win a game, lose a game. They could not – they really struggled to put together three straight wins, and I think they, they only did that one time. They did that February 1st against Pittsburgh, then against Louisville, then against Virginia. That was the only time in the year 2020 where they strung together multiple wins like that, three wins like that. But <clears throat> the one thing that really their lasting legacy is that for this season is that they kept fighting back. They kept coming back for more. They didn't get down by a loss, and they didn't let a loss snowball into two or three or four. They were able to come back, right the ship for a second, and then, yeah, they, like, slipped up a little bit, but they kept coming back. And the one thing that I really liked was seeing that win against Louisville in the ACC tournament because that really gave a lot of us that hope that, Mm -hmm. shoot, this team can get back. They can get really back to where they were supposed to be, where we all expected them to be. And maybe and really contend possibly for this NCAA title once it, we once we get into March fully. I definitely think they were a victim of their own success, though. I mean, rattling off that many wins in a row in in the early season, and then you sort of see them fluctuate in the second half. Well, if they had done what they did in the second half in the first half, we wouldn't be having a, as much a problem as we did with it. Obviously, it wouldn't mm-hmm. be good, but it wouldn't be as disappointing as it seems. Um, Again, you know, to finish the season 24 and 8, a road uh, a victory against Texas A&M, who was at the time a top 10 ranked team, one of the best in the, in the nation, uh, <laughs> almost a 20 point 22 point lead at that. Um, it's certainly a commendable season for sure. Tyler, any thoughts? Uh, yeah, I mean, I covered some uh, some games for the women. In fact, I covered all three of their losses um, at home. Uh, so I banned myself from watching the ACC tournament, and it actually ended up uh, almost working out in uh, in FSU's favor. Um, but I think what my main thought is 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 kind of 
agreeing with Gary and them, uh, you know, Gary and Luke, it was a very season of up and downs. Uh, there was times where this team looked very elite, and you had three seniors leading the charge. You had that, that uh, you know, that trio. Um, and and then when one of them went down, I think it was na- uh, nausea at that time, uh, you saw a couple losses. And, you know, I, t- and I had gone to the press conference with Coach Sue, and she, uh, you know, she said, you know, we can't be reliant on just – one of our, our, we can't be reliant on this big three. You know, we have to, our other people on the team have to contribute. And so I think what it, it was saying is, you know, with Florida State now losing those big three, it's really going to, into the next season, what is this team going to look like? Uh, but this season, for sure, uh, I think it was a success. I think Florida State can look at this, this season. Uh, you know, they had a chance to go to the tournament. Obviously, it won't be played. But I think overall, they had some big wins, uh, and they made a, a run in the ACC tournament when it counted. Um, yeah, so overall, good season. So, Yeah, it was. And, again, another one that is unfortunate to see end the way it did. Um, and and they, they were just moments away from, from uh, fighting off NC State, winning an ACC title of their own, uh, which would have been awesome to see both men and women uh, bring home some hardware in the same year. But uh, – Move on to some of the spring sports that were cut way short. Um, some of their seasons were just getting started. Uh, Gary, I know you have some thoughts on that Florida State, uh, the golf team. Yeah, the FSU men's and women's golf team, they were they were playing some really solid golf at the time when things were all kind of come to a halt there. John Pack had just won the Seminole Intercollegiate a few tournaments ago, and then they kind of struggled a little bit in their next tournament at right after. The women had a little bit of a rough patch at the Darius Rucker Invitational down up in South Carolina in their last tournament. But Amanda Doherty was still playing some really solid golf. She had her first uh, individual collegiate career win earlier this season in Mexico, I believe. And everything was starting to seem to go right for both of these groups. And every and including they just had built their new golf course Sadly, the women's team was not there for the opening. They were playing in the Darius Rucker at the time. And everything was starting, has been on the come up for this team. And it's really just it's sad to see them kind of all come to a halt because who knows? John Pack might not be here after this season. Jamie Lee might not be here. Senior as well. Amanda Doherty might not be here. A lot of, there's still a lot of question marks, just kind of like with men's basketball and women's basketball. Like who's going to be there for those teams? The golf team and a lot of other teams in these spring sports are kind of questioning the same. Yeah, and uh, baseball and softball are the same way. Softball had had a very up and down start to the season. They were seventeen and seven, which is uh, you know definitely a formidable record. Um, but it started off really well in those in that first tournament, the Joanne Graf Classic, then struggled in St. Pete big time. Um, but then you know started to find their stride again out in Fayetteville against uh, they picked up win against Baylor in Arkansas. Um, UCF they had a big win against in Orlando and uh, we're getting ready to start conference play. And it uh, was, was starting to look good. I know they lost to Florida to end their year, but overall softball, um, they were a young team. They had a lot of great freshmen. They were the number one recruiting class in the country coming into this year. And with that extra year of eligibility given, depending on how it's used by these programs and by these players, I think Florida State softball, uh, this might not have been their year, but given the talent they have on this team and the way they were coming together, next year they're going to be national title contenders. Um, well, this is a team that's got all the pieces to one, compete. 
one hundred percent. I think you know heading into the season, I don't think any of us had expectations that they should be a favorite heading in for a national title. Um, but you would have liked to see the season play out and seeing that youth develop for sure. Of course, with having a top recruiting class like that, you just want to see them develop and hopefully next year take that next step and become national title contenders. <laughs> and it sucks that we're not going to get to see exactly how their season played out. But heading into next, I mean, it gives you way more time to prepare. Obviously, the another year of eligibility is huge, huge for softball and for baseball. But I definitely see this team contending for a national title, being one of the favorites next year for it. I want to know when we get down to it later on in the year, obviously this will all come out and be more clear, but Kaylin Arnold and her future with Florida State, she came in from Tennessee uh, this season. She had pitched phenomenally in a role which Florida State needed to fill. They needed to fill the hole that Megan King left for them, and she really did it. She had a 1.4 ERA, 60 innings pitched, and she was really playing some really solid ball, and not having that kind of veteran presence in the circle next year or that kind of presence in that consistency could hurt this team down the line. For sure. And again, we, we just got to wait and see what happens, what happens, who's going to come back, uh, how, what the college sports landscape is going to look like um, a few months from now when uh, maybe football gets started. So um, a lot of question marks, but a lot of bright spots for Florida State softball. I don't think there's anything to worry about when it comes to that program. Um, Tyler, any thoughts on softball? No, I, I definitely um, wanted to highlight because we've already we talked about the positives. I think there was some negatives. I think pitching was a little bit of a concern. Um, they didn't have a lot of power through some of the some of the like the first couple games they did kind of went away there later in the season. I think you could look at that uh, as a little bit of a concern. But like you said, uh, they had the number one recruiting class. This team is very young uh, going into next year. I think, you know, you look at them definitely as national title contenders. Um, but, yeah, that's my two cents. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they are poised. They're ready to go. They uh, got a really, really talented roster. And you got to see a lot of uh, bright spots from that team early on in the season. So moving over to baseball, um, Tyler, I hope you were filling up your water bottle. Yes. Yep. Fill up the water bottle. <laughs> Okay, I heard, I heard uh, something. Forgot to mute the mic. I'm sorry. Well, we, we thought it was something out. else. We we'll cut that out. out. We'll cut that out. I don't think we will. No, <laughs> I mean, that's what favorite part of the show so far. I, I was Jeez, like, I'm going to be like an Austin idea. meme. We it's going to be just the sound, though. We're all set up in our rooms, and I'm like, I wonder how close Tyler is to his bathroom. Because oh, no. My bathroom studio. It's like... It, the bathroom is in the same room. It's a studio apartment. <laughs> um, no, sorry about that. No, it's all good. Uh, moving on to baseball. They finished, baseball. They, what, what an intro for baseball right there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Go baseball. They finished uh, 12 and 5, um, 10, and, 10 and 3 at home. Uh, they split their, their true road games. But uh, a lot of promising stuff for baseball, too. It was Mike Martin Jr.'s first year as head coach. New coaching staff, Mike, uh, or Mike Metcalf. And as the assistant coach and recruiting coordinator, uh, Gary and I got a chance to sit down with him before the season Very and kind nice. of get a feel of how things were going. Yeah, front of the show, Mike Metcalf. Um, Jimmy Bellinger comes in as the pitching coach. Uh, they looked like they had the ability to compete for a spot in Omaha. You know, very similar to last year's team, which we didn't think was great, but we thought it was um, 
well, they did play that last game against Illinois State. But really, the, uh, that Tuesday, March 10th, a few days before everything changed, um, they had a huge 2 nothing win um, in Gainesville against the Florida Gators. Huge uh, combined pitching performance between uh, Antonio Velez and Parker Massick, two Hillsborough County boys. You'll love to see that. Um, and really, uh, we were starting to put things together, just similar to some of these other teams uh, at Florida State. Yeah, they re- we like to say this about a lot of teams that we're kind of unsure about, but this team was poised to make some noise down the line in, <laughs> in postseason. We don't know where they could have ended up. Like This team had a decently high ceiling, and it's just where they're going to show up in certain big games. Like We saw with Texas Tech in that tough weekend against FAU and Tech in Tallahassee. They were able to get leads against these good teams. But they just couldn't hold them every now and then. Like with Tech, they got up, I believe, both games. They had a lead going into the later halves of the games. But they just could not score or not hold leads. And that's one thing that would have killed them down the line. Once they got to the Omaha regionals, super regionals, whatever, it would have just been detrimental. You think yeah. about it. In the, yeah, you think about it, the, the The bats hadn't even started to heat up for this Florida State baseball team, which is another crucial crucial thing that we would have liked to see down the stretch i think they were mainly carried by elijah cabell among among a few others but nico baldor nander DeSatis, jackson green i mean these guys hadn't even they sorry they hadn't even hit at the mendoza line yet during the season so i think brutal sorry Sorry, we couldn't pass it up. We said it at the time. same time, yeah. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no problem. And you look at the last three games, kind of just like package them up to look forward to something next season. I mean, a 10-2 win at Duke. I know they lost the series, but that's a pretty dominating win. And then you go at Florida and you leave the Gators with a salty taste in their mouth with their last game of the season being that loss, their first and only loss to FSU. Um, there were quite a few positives to take away from this team for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sucks that we're not going to get to see CJ Van Eyck finish what was most likely going to be his last season at Florida state. He's well on his way to uh, a really high draft pick at the uh, MLB draft. If that happens this year, but Hey, maybe he decides to come back and try to work on his draft stock. I doubt it, but we'll see. Um, Nander DeSatis is draft eligible. He can decide to leave. I don't think that's going to happen, especially with the way his season began both at the plate and, and defensively as well, was not looking great. Uh, but Matt Nelson is a draft-eligible sophomore, and he was a huge part of this team behind the plate um, and at the plate, and he might decide to to test his uh, test, test the waters with Major League Baseball. So a lot of question marks for Florida State Baseball. One thing, the most I'd say the most disappointing part of the season being cut short is I wanted to see – what the rest of the light package would have been at Florida State Baseball. We know we only saw the first little bit of it with the flashing lights after home runs or bunts that resulted in runs. <laughs> but I know according to some of the people at FSU that those the lights under the awnings at the stands would have lit up different colors. There would have been some whole cool light show. I would imagine it just would have been like uh, EDC and all that kind of stuff there. <laughs> but that's something that I think we're going to really miss out on. And I'm going to have to – we're going to have to wait till next year to see it, or at least Luke and I will. <laughs> well, I'm like, I might be hanging around. You're not getting rid of uh, me yet. I just won't be a student. I'm going to have to pave my way into the game. We'll see. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I'm also going to miss the cold pizza in the press box at baseball Oof. games. I'll, I'll sneak some down Luke to you if you make it to a game. Give it some credit. 
There's a microwave all the time. Charge. Never, I've never just used the microwave. Get there early. If you get there early, you'll get the pizza warm. <laughs> yeah, who's got time for that? You're earlier. <laughs> oh, we have all the time in the world now. <laughs> yeah, now we do. Now we do. Oh, yeah. Now you'll never take that cold pizza at baseball games for granted. Yeah, I was about you'll to say. Never take it for granted. I bet you're missing that cold pizza now. <laughs> oh, I really am. All right. So uh, that's like really it, awesome. But I'll appreciate it. Yeah, exactly. That's really all we've got to say about Florida State sports again. Um, uh, an unfortunate ending for all the sports, including football. And I think we'll talk a little bit more about spring football and how Florida State football is going to deal with this um, in another episode because we are about an hour in and we've still got some uh, a lot of other stuff to talk about. And we're going to go straight to NFL free agency. Um, let's go through some of the big moves. I'll start. I'll throw it out there and you guys – Just throw one out there too. Let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and get get, get this one out of the way. So, uh, Tom Brady, quarterback oh. of the New England Patriots, decides to leave New England and sign with. And again, you're not hearing this. Uh, this is not like a typo or a, there's nothing wrong with your headphones or your speakers. Signs with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, um, two year, fifty million dollar deal can go as high as $59 million, I think, after bonuses and incentives. Uh, but Tom Brady is a Tampa Bay Buck, replacing Jameis Winston as the starter in Tampa. Um, Luke, you're, you're a Bucks fan. I'm a Bucks fan. I'll let you start with this one. So thoughts on Tom Brady to Tampa. So to preface, I'm pissed. I am livid that they did not somehow find a way to keep Jameis along with Tom Brady. You thought that, that was going to happen? I, 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 listen, for the longest time heading into this free agency period, I was a firm believer in Jameis being the quarterback of the future for the Bucks, And I was completely behind him. Now, I was going to be behind the Bucks with whatever decision they made, whether it was keeping Jameis or going to Tom Brady. But a part of me really, really wanted Jameis to develop in that second year under Bruce Arians. You know, you had guys like Carson Palmer who played for Arians saying the second year – is exponentially easier for a quarterback under Bruce Arians. So part of me wanted to see Jameis, with the talent that he has, take off under Bruce Arians in that second year. Another part of me realizes that I'm impatient as a Bucks fan. I have not seen them make the postseason since 2007. And Tom Brady gives them the best chance to win right now, uh, in my opinion. So I'm elated in that sense. Now, it's still an uphill battle. You have the New Orleans Saints who just went out and signed Emmanuel Sanders to go along with Michael Thomas, and their defense is nasty as ever. They're going to be right there with the Bucks. And then you have the Falcons signing Todd Gurley. I know we'll break down his his uh, trade a little bit later, but that NFC South, the Saints, Bucks, and Pan- uh, and Falcons. Sorry, the Panthers, Panthers are, too. The Panthers, Panthers are not doing anything Br- this year. They signed Teddy Bridgewater and PJ Walker. XFL's PJ Walker. I'm I'm discounting them for sure. But it's going to be a bloodbath next year, and I couldn't be happier as a Bucks fan knowing that there is a responsible – not that James isn't responsible. He was a great leader. The players will tell you he's a great leader. But a proven winner, the greatest winner in the history of the NFL, um, quarterbacking my team. I'm a huge fan of this signing for the Bucks. I want to say thank you to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for taking Tom Brady out of You're my welcome. division and out of the <laughs> Dolphins' lives. Because this might be one of the best things that's ever happened. I, I when I when 
uh, Tom Brady threw that final pick, that pick six to the Tennessee Titans in that last game of his time as a New England Patriot. I shed a tear and I said, it's over. It's over. He's, he can't <laughs> hurt me anymore. My boogeyman is dead. And now he's completely gone out of my life, thankfully. So this really, I it's a good signing. I didn't see Jameis Winston ever staying there if they were going to bring in another quarterback because he's not. he doesn't want to be a backup. And that's what he was. He's been. not a backup quarterback. He's a starting quarterback in the league, which is exactly. like why I, I tussled with this for so long. Like part of me wants Jameis to sign and play under Tom Brady. That's and not going to happen. Tom Brady. It's not yeah. going to happen. No, he's this he's this far into his career. Maybe if, he, <laughs> maybe if he was just getting drafted, this would be a good idea. Like I know everyone went around with the idea down here in South Florida that, oh, the Dolphins are going to get Tom Brady and then draft Tua and then have Tua sit a year behind Brady. And that's going to be perfect and everything's going to be great. But that would only work with a rookie quarterback and someone that you just drafted. It could not work with someone who's been in the league for this long like Jameis has. So I think Jameis leaving and wherever he ends up, I think it'll be a good spot. I mean, there's still a chance he could oh, – I've heard there could be Pittsburgh. It could be Miami maybe. Who knows? But there's a ton of landing spots for him to go, and I, it's just a big question mark right now. I think we have almost every other player in the NFL having a landing spot so far except for Jameis. Tyler, you want to you want to take a bite or give it give it up to me? I'll give it up to you. I really, I mean, as a Saints fan, I I I don't know what to think. I mean, I told you, I think he's kind of he's kind of donezo, Tom Brady. I know he's you know he's only one year off of a Super Bowl, but I think you know looking at his numbers last year it was it's kind of concerning. I think if you're a Bucks fan, you kind of given up uh, what you've said to be Luke said to be uh, you know your quarterback in the future. Uh, you're going to give it up for a, a person that might have two or three years left. Um, I, I mean, I guess the Bucks want to win now, but do they have the team around Tom Brady to win now? I don't personally think so. I think it'll be a lot more competitive in the NFC South. I think that the New Orleans Saints won't run away with it. I think New Orleans Saints will still win the division. Um, but for for you guys to sign Tom Brady, it, it just kind of kind of puzzled me. Almost, it was like, well, you're going to give up Jameis, who has fresh new eyes, for a guy that's 43 years old. Game changer. And I just, I, I, I kind of scratched my head. It was kind of a weird move. Um, and, and let's also talk about Tom Brady has been protected by one of the best O lines in the NFL for years, years it seemed like. And the Dolphins definitely couldn't get to him. And hey, I just we w- Dolphins beat them in the last game that they played. <laughs> Dolphins won. That's very true. Very they true for the most part. It, it, I think the biggest question mark is in Tampa. Will he will he be able to stand upright long enough for him to complete passes? Yeah. You know, I went to I went to Charleston for spring break. Now I was isolated for sure. I practiced responsible social distancing with my family. But I went to Charleston and some of those houses they have there, the the townhouses that have been there forever, they are magnificent. They are beautiful. Some of the best you ever see. But they also cost a lot to keep them up and to keep them going. And I liken this Tom Brady signing to one of those houses. Yes, Tom Brady is a proven winner, one of the best in the league. But you have to invest in your O-line come draft time, come the next couple free agencies to keep him upright. Because I'm with Tyler. I think protection of Tom Brady is crucial. And I also think it's a liability heading into next season for the Bucks if they don't improve upon their offensive line. You're not going to have the problem with that is that you're not going to have another couple free agencies. You're going to have this you're going to have legitimately one more free agency after this year. 
to set everything right because Tom Brady is only going to be here for two years. Maybe three is a stretch, I believe, right now for Tom Brady because his age and the way that he's been playing and the way that he's going to get beat up this year, I don't think he's going to be able to last three. I would agree, which is why I'm saying you also might have to dip into the offensive line pool come draft time, yeah. whether it be uh, um, Andrew Thomas from Georgia as a tackle or some or any other player. They're definitely going to need to draft and develop players in the near future if they want to compete next year. For sure. All right, are you guys done? Is it my turn? Yeah, yes. sure. Let's hear it. <laughs> Go off on it. Go off on First, I, I do want to say I love how Tyler was like, no, Brett, I'm just going to pass it off to you and then talk for like five minutes. I'm well, kidding. sorry. I'm sorry. I'm I kidding. got I'm a kidding. little bit uh, excited there. It's fine. <laughs> um, but I'll preface this by saying um, it's extremely cool. It's extremely um, interesting to see uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks, my team, my dad's team, you know, the city of Tampa's team, and Tampa Bay area's team um, being talked about so much. And I know a lot of uh, – us fans of small market teams can kind of relate to that when your team is finally getting their shot in the limelight. And the Bucks, it's not going to stop because they're going to be tons of national media at one buck place, their training facility throughout the summer and into the season once things get going again. So that is super cool. And it is really surreal to say that Tom Brady is my quarterback. He's my quarterback. Um, but with all of that being said, I do think this was the wrong decision. In terms of winning football games, if you're the Tampa Bay Bucks, uh, and for a couple of reasons, um, one, I think at this point in both of their careers, Jameis Winston is the better quarterback. Not only right now, but moving forward, like like Gary said, he's here for two years at maximum. He might play this year and say, "All right, that was fun. I had my year. You guys keep the rest of this contract. I'm going to retire." That's a possibility, especially with what he might have to deal with behind what's been a meddling Bucks offensive line. I know they played a lot, little bit better this, this past year, and they might add someone in the draft, a first-round talent in the draft. But there are no guarantees that with Tom Brady that the Bucks go from 7-9 and nine to competing for a playoff spot. Because in the NFC, especially in the NFC South, you have to win like at least 11 games. You can't squeak mm-hmm. in with a 9-7 and seven record or even a 10-6 and six record. The last time the Bucs went 10-6, and six, they missed out in the playoffs. The Packers also went 10-6. and six. They won the Super Bowl. It's so tough to get into the playoffs in the NFC. And I don't know if Brady is that difference maker to get them from seven wins to 10, 11, 12 wins um, it, it, with the schedule they're going to have to play. Um, Jameis Winston, I know he threw 30 interceptions last year. I know that's unacceptable. deflected or just botched by O.J. Howard where he threw it behind his back and, and it got picked off. doesn't matter. That's unacceptable. It's not a good number. But every time that Jameis Winston has been spoken about that I've heard, uh, whether it be on TV, radio, or print, or online, whatever it is, they're making it seem like 30 interceptions is the norm for Jameis Winston. And I talked about this on air on another episode of Tomahawk Talk. That is not the norm for Jameis Winston. He had never thrown more than 20 interceptions in a season. Yes, again, this past season was terrible. And you could also say that him leading the league in passing yards was an anomaly. But given what we know about Jameis Winston, last year was irregularity. It's not what we, you should expect from Jameis Winston moving forward. Going back to Luke's point, quarterbacks in year two of the Bruce Arian system throughout history, throughout Bruce Arian's tenure, have done really, really well. Jameis Winston, also, LASIK eye surgery, had uh, knee surgery to repair a uh, meniscus injury. 
He uh, had thumb surgery. He was playing with a broken thumb for the last quarter of the of this past season. There are a lot of things you could look forward to with Jameis Winston going forward. All of that being said, with the Bucks have never signed a quarterback to a second contract that they've drafted. They've never signed a quarterback after their rookie contract. Jameis Winston could have been the first one in franchise history to do so. Jameis Winston has got the arm talent to be able to get the ball to the receivers like Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, um, Cameron Bray, O.J. Howard. I don't know if Tom Brady has that. I think Tom Brady's got the ability to protect the football. I don't know if his arm's going to hold up at age 43 to be able to get the ball to Evans and Godwin and make plays down the field. Maybe I'm wrong. I hope I am. But I don't think the Bucs got better at the quarterback position by letting Jameis Winston walk. Now, I will give the Bucs credit. One second. I will give the Bucs credit. They believed that Jameis, there was not going to be a market for Jameis Winston. I thought he was going to get signed immediately once the new league year started. He was going to get 25 to $30 million. Seems that's not the case. He might get $20 million at best, and that's probably a long shot. Uh, they decided to let him walk. I still thought there was a chance they'd bring him back. They just they made the decision that they wanted Tom Brady over Jameis Winston. They went all in for Tom Brady. They made it happen. And I still trust the Bruce Arians coaching staff, Byron Leftwich, year two of him calling plays. Um, and I think this might work out for the Bucs. They might win you know, 9, 10, 11 games. They might tweak into the playoffs. I don't think it'll all be because of Tom Brady, but I think he could help if everything goes right. I think my, and where my confidence stems from is the fact that I think it's telling that Bruce Arians, the, the guy with the system that we keep talking about where second-year quarterbacks with him absolutely skyrocket compared to their first. I think it's telling that even he, and we assume that you know the Bucks got his blessing to go ahead and wave off Jameis Winston and sign Tom Brady. He didn't even want to keep Jameis Winston around. He trusts that he can adapt to Tom Brady and they can come together and concoct some kind of offense that is near the top in the league. And you look at the Bucks, the the scores old last season. They had some of the closest finishes, <laughs> closest losses. You go back to that game at Seattle where they lose in overtime, and. There's so many other games like that where it's literally a turnover. It's an interception. It's a botched play by Jameis or another offensive player that completely turns the tide of the game. I think with Tom Brady at the helm, guys, that risk is absolutely – it's thrown out the window. You're not risking everything with Tom Brady because you know that he knows how to take care of the ball. He has proven that he is one of the best-thinking quarterbacks in the league that can take care of the ball. And I think you – the, the, the quote I always go back to is that the NFL is an 8-8 eight eight league. Injuries and outstanding performances determine whether you uh, go above 8-8 eight eight or below 8-8. Eight and, eight. and I think with Tom Brady at the helm, the Bucks are definitely in the upper echelon of teams in the NFC. Well, we'll have, we'll have to see. I don't know. A lot, a lot could change. There still could be some additions they make in for agency and in the draft. I think they're going to need to take an offensive lineman. I think they're going to need to take probably a rookie quarterback. And, and probably a running back as well. Um, but we're not going to talk just about the Bucks. Is there any – Tyler, any other big offseason moves that you want to talk about? We're, we are going to talk about a couple more, but let's just talk about the ones that are important to us, not important to anyone else, but the four of us. Tyler, go ahead. Well, Throw I think one. important to – are you talking specifically to us as fans? Or are well, you just no. What, what do you, Tyler, want to talk about? Well, I want to talk about uh, DeAndre Hopkins going to uh, the Arizona Cardinals for practically nothing. Incompetency. I mean, 
Can you can you imagine? I, I don't know how Bill O'Brien right now is still in a head coaching job and a GM role. I how after that? Seriously, I just you put DeAndre Hopkins on the Cardinals. I think with Kyler Murray, Cardinals could win some games next year. I think that's a huge pickup, uh, and, and it, it's just crazy to me that they got it for so for such a little return. The Texans were such a cool team. They had DeAndre Hopkins, Fuller when he's healthy, Deshaun Watson. This team can do a lot of things, and with the addition of Laramie Tunsil via a, dolphin, a trade with the Dolphins, they're starting to build up a solid team and a solid core. Yeah. And they're kind of just throwing it all out the window. You can't throw away the best wide receiver you have for a, for a running back that hasn't been able to produce mainly because of injuries for the past three seasons or so. I mean, granted, yes, he did have a 900-yard season two years ago in 2018, but he's David Johnson is not the same running back that he was in 2016, and those injuries have yep. really piled up. And granted, we know he's ran behind a bad offensive line the past two years, but see what Kenyon Drake did last year with, or yeah, it was Kenyon Drake with the, with the, the Cardinals. He played well. And then David Johnson has almost no excuse for not playing well because we believe he has the same skill set and he is an elite running. He's an elite running back, and he's just not. It's ridiculous. And now he's going to be thrown into Houston, and I don't know if Bill O'Brien's going to know how to use a running back because I don't even know if he knows how to coach football or manage a football team anymore because of what we've seen out of this. So I, it's going to be weird. I don't know. I don't like it personally. Yeah, I thought it was an odd trade. I thought Bill O'Brien uh, might have to, to you know, bite the bullet here and realize that he, he messed up. But maybe we'll see. Maybe David Johnson has a great bounce back here. Maybe he's healthy. Maybe he'll do great things. I don't know. It was an odd trade, to say the least. I'm, I'm sure Deshaun Watson isn't happy about it. Um, but Can you say just one more? Randall Cobb, too. Yeah, go ahead, Tyler. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater to Carolina Panthers was uh, yeah. painful for me. Um, I think Br- Teddy Bridgewater was the quarterback of the the Saints. It, it was I wouldn't say it was the equivalent of Jameis because he hadn't played as many games. But you looked at what he did in the absence of Drew Brees last year in those six games where I myself even told you, Brett and Luke and Gary, that if we went three and three, I'd be happy. We went six and zero, oh, and it was just amazing to me. I just felt like. I know that, you know, he's probably going to walk because we, you know, we signed Drew Brees, but it was just sad to me that, you know, we couldn't retain that quarterback of the future, in my opinion. Um, I mean, who says we don't get one in the draft? I don't know. Um, But it was just, it was, it was hurtful as a Saints fan to see him walk, especially to a rival. You got Taysom Hill though. He's the quarterback of the future. So I've heard from some people on Twitter today, Taysom Hill is something else. (laughs) He's our he's our uh, weapon. He's a he's a multi-purpose weapon. He, he plays different positions. I don't see him as being the quarterback of the future. <laughs> oh no, not a chance. But yeah, no, you yeah. can't hold on to Teddy Bridgewater like that. You can't just hoard talent. You can't hoard three quarterbacks and say these are ours. You guys cannot have them. We're just gonna sit on these guys and waste them in the prime of their career, like Teddy Bridgewater. You can't just you can't just hold him back like that. You gotta let him fly. He's I a say peacock. we implement you gotta let him fly. a. A MLB rule where we keep them for six years um, yeah. and just and hoard their talent so that we can play them six years down the line. Well, football uh, no, is I, a I, different game, man. You can't just do that. Teddy, I'm I like Teddy Bridgewater. He's looking out for himself. He's trying to get paid and he's trying to play games more than six games a year. 
Luke disappeared. Hopefully, we get him back soon. Uh-oh. <laughs> well, well, we'll move on. Yeah, Bridgewater's an interesting one for me because he got $21 million a year. I thought that was kind of low. Yeah. Brady got twenty five, mm-hmm. and that can go up with bonuses. I'm sure there's some bonuses or incentives in Bridgewater's contract. Um, but I thought the market was going to be a little closer to $30 million. I thought guys – I thought Bridgewater's going to get 25. Jameis could get like 27. Brady would get 30. Um, but a little less than what I thought, which is interesting. Uh, maybe – go ahead. Well, the only thing I would say to that is I think the sample size was so small that you – I think for the Carolina Panthers, I don't think they wanted to commit that much money uh, to someone that you know had only played six games. Granted, those six games were great. Um, but who's to say how good he performs over a full length of a season? Um, so I, I think that would be the only counter argument I'd make to that. But yes, I, I maybe a little bit uh, off what I thought as well. Um, I thought it was a little low too, but here I will uh, rattle off some of these some of these other deals um, for the sake of time. Todd Gurley goes to the Atlanta Falcons, which is actually pretty big news. On a one-year, six million dollar deal after getting released, he's still going to get five million dollars, I think, from the Rams, and then six million dollars on the new contract. Uh, Dak Prescott gets a franchise tag with Dallas, so he stays with the Cowboys. Um, Amari Cooper re-signs with the Cowboys. Marcus Mariota goes to the Raiders. Philip Rivers to the Indianapolis Colts for one year, twenty-five million dollars. Um, I wasn't expecting him to get twenty-five million, and he did. Nick Foles traded to the Chicago Bears, so the quarterback landscape kind of getting. Shaped out here, uh, Jimmy Graham, who did he sign? Jimmy Graham signed with, was another NFC North team? I did not actually hear that Jimmy Graham signed somewhere else. I guess I don't really think that, I don't really think that moves the needle, but he left. uh, Oh, the the Bears, it's the Bears, right? Yeah, okay. It's the Bears. Yeah, I knew it was another NFC North team. Um, That's crazy. They're going to have Alshon, Jeffrey, and Jimmy Graham. Yeah, Jimmy Graham and is, Mitch yeah, Trubisky I mean, to throw to them. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, they signed. Um, they they traded for Nick Foles. Yeah. I know that, but I'm just saying somehow Mitch Trubisky will play well enough in Bears training camp to win that job just for him to ruin it. <laughs> I mean, we mentioned Emmanuel Sanders to the Saints, um, going through some of these other. I think uh, I think we covered Darius Slay, goes to the uh, Eagles. Stephon Diggs. Diggs traded to the Buffalo Bills um, for a lot more. Randall Cobb. That was a great. Uh, that the Diggs one was a great trade for Buffalo. They made all the right moves. I actually there. think it was not that bad for Minnesota either. Yeah, the, I, 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 I think Diggs is. I think Diggs is. He's really good. Don't get me wrong. He's mm-hmm. slightly overrated. I think with after the Minnesota miracle, people kind of put him on a higher pedestal. He's still a very good receiver. We don't have to talk about that. Get, okay. Yeah. I want to see what he can do with someone other than Case Keenum and Case Keenum 2.0 with Kirk Cousins. I want to see if Josh Allen can kind of learn to hit his targets a bit more consistently and kind of feel that out. Because if he can, the Bills are like we thought the Bills were a threat last year. The Bills now have a legitimate chance to win the AFC East. And the AFC East is almost wide open now because the Pats have Brian Hoyer or Jared Stidham as their quarterback. The Dolphins yeah. are going to be – Dolphins made a ton of signings in these first couple of weeks of free agency, and then they got a stockpile of draft picks. So a young yeah. Dolphins team could certainly shake it up a little bit in the, in the East, but that that AFC East is going to be wide open. Jets, I'm not worried about that. No, not the Jets. <laughs> um, the Bucs put a franchise tag on Shaq Barrett. They re-signed Joseph Pierre-Paul. 
The, Tan- the Tennessee Titans re-signed uh, Ryan Tannehill to a four-year, $118 million contract. Um, Kyle Allen gets traded to the Redskins. Uh, that's that's pretty much it. We might have missed a couple notable ones, but Melvin we do have to the Broncos. Oh, that one. And uh, I don't know. We're we're gonna try to get Luke back on because we're we're pretty much done with with NFL for the agency. We do have something a little more fun uh, planned for you guys. We got some uh, some baseball trivia. So we're gonna try to make these shows uh, during this dead period. I guess you could call it a little more interesting. Um, and we're going to do some different trivia games or some different games where we might give our all-time lineups for Florida State. We're going to do some Florida State-themed stuff. We're going to do a bunch of fun stuff that we're going to brainstorm. Um, but we, tonight we're going to do a trivia game. Like we're going to do it with Luke. might just do it with uh, Gary and Tyler. Uh, but it's based off of the old MLB Network show that Gary, I think you said you were vaguely familiar with it. Tyler, vaguely. you had never seen it. Luke was a little more familiar with it. So maybe it's good that he's not here, you guys. He, it seems like he we have a chance. Yeah, it. fresh control um, setting. I'm going to host tonight. We might mix it up and have Gary host another night so I can show my own trivia skills. Um, but for now, um, it's, it's based off the MLB Network show, Baseball IQ. Basically how it's going to work is I'm going to list a year in a stat category. So this isn't always how it works for on MLB Network, but similar. So, for example, I would do 2019, and don't say anything, 2019 home run leaders, and you guys will go back and forth. I'll say the 2019 top 10 home run leaders in Major League Baseball. And you guys will go back and forth trying to name players that were on that list. And basically, whoever gets one wrong first loses that round, and the other person gets a point. So it's kind of like Family Feud. So, yeah, you kind of like Family Feud. A little bit like it. Baseball. Um, and... I think we'll do, just for the sake of time, we're almost at an hour and a half already. Um, that's what they said on Baseball IQ. Since we are playing. Um, but do you guys get the rules? Yeah, I get it. Yeah. We can learn as we go along if, uh, if we have any trouble. So we are going to – actually, we will start with uh, 2019 home run leaders. We'll do the top 14 – I think we'll let Tyler go first. We'll do the top 14 home run hitters in Major League Baseball last year. And the only hint I'll give you guys is that each of these players has at least 38 home runs. So any player in Major League Baseball had 38 home runs. These are the top 14 home run leaders in Major League Baseball. Tyler, you go first. You've got no more than 10 seconds to answer because we cannot have dead air. Um, So starting now. I might lose this right off. Um, uh, Edwin Encarnacion. Encarnacion, he spent a lot of time injured. He was not on the list. Uh, so, uh, Gary, okay. only opportunity for a point here is he can name any of the top 14 home run hitters. Encarnacion's a good guess, but he was injured. Um, I'm probably going to have to go with... Uh, I, see, yeah, the, I'm stumped right now, but I'm just going to go Cody Bellinger. Cody Bellinger at 47 last year. He was fourth in Major League Baseball. So, Gary with an early lead. The leader was Pete Alonzo with yep. 53. Um, Eugenio Suarez at 49, Jorge Soler 48, Mike Trout 45, you know, uh, Cunha, Arenado, Yelich, Bregman, Cruz, Springer, Freeman, Schwarber with 38, and Glader Torres with 38 to round out the list. But Gary takes a one nothing lead. Tyler, yes, it wasn't a bad guess. And I, I almost picked Glaber Torres. That's the thing. I almost said Glaber Torres instead of Encarnacion. Wish I had a went with my gut. 
here's the thing is Edwin Encarnacion hit 34 home runs with, I don't know how many plate appearances he had, but he had 418 at bats in 109 games played. And everyone else that made the list played at least in 120 games. If Edwin Encarnacion had played just a few more games, he probably would have gotten there. He hit a ton of home runs last year. Um, for such a small amount of games. I just played. remember I'm hitting a bunch against the Rays. That's why. Yeah, I, uh... he did do that. He did do that. He had a 531 slugging percentage. Again, not a bad guess. He was only four home runs short despite playing like half a season. All right, so let me come up with a new category. I think we'll stay in 2019, keep it somewhat simple, and we'll move to pitching. So let's go. And these are going to, we're going to do, we're going to do the top qualifiers. So they've got to have pitched a full season. We'll do the top 15. ERA leaders across Major League Baseball in the 2019 season. So both leagues, they've got to be a qualifier. Starters and relievers? Is it what is? So these are these are going to be these are going to be all starters on this list. Okay. Top 15. And uh, Gary Tyler started the last round. Gary, you can go ahead and start this round. This should be an easy one. I'll go with Jacob Degrom, New York. Jacob Degrom. He was second on the list with a 2.43 ERA last season. Tyler, over to you. Uh, we'll go with the Cy Young winner, Justin Verlander. Justin Verlander with a 2.58 ERA last season was number four on the list. Gary? Uh, Charlie Morton. I'll go with one of your Rays guys. Charlie Morton, 11th on the list with a 3.05 ERA. He went 16 and 6 last year in his first year with the Rays. Oof. Tyler? Garrett Cole? Garrett Cole, number three on the list, a 2-5 ERA. This one seems to be a lot we're easier just, for you guys. We're See, just listing all the uh, Houston asterisks. I mean, Astros. <laughs> oh, well, hey, the pitchers didn't do anything. Pitchers, pitchers didn't do fun. anything. They're cool. Um, well, Steve – or not – sorry. Wow, almost slipped up there. Um, we're going to go with Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer, I don't think he qualified, Gary. Really? Yeah, with the injury. So, Max Scherzer, not – not on the list. Ah, I thought he so would have been there. So, Tyler, you've got to get this one. So, Gary went first. Oh. Do I? Oh, and wait, if wait, he gets wait, it wrong. Wait, wait, wait. I'm taking that back. Max Scherzer stuck in here. 292 ERA. He is eighth on the list. Come he on. Come on. So, Jeez, I mean, man. I was about to say, I'm pretty sure he made it. 27 starts, 172 and one-third innings pitched. Max yeah. Scherzer's on the list. Sorry for that, Tyler. Back to you. I think you guys each named like three or four now. What are you have to step um, up? I'm going to go with uh, Kershaw. Uh, let's see. Clayton Kershaw, number 10 on the list, just in front of Charlie Morton with a 3.03 ERA. Back to you, Gary. Um, let's go with Steven Strasburg. Stick it with the Nats. Steven Strasburg. Ooh. Not there. Uh, With a 3-3-2 ERA, he was four hundredths of a point away from making the list, but he does not. Oh. He was 18 and 6 with a 3-3-2 ERA, the number 16. So Tyler, you can get this one, you get the point, you level it up with Gary heading into the third round. You just need to name one more pitcher on this list. I think there's only a couple more that you guys haven't gotten yet. If not, we're gonna, we're gonna go, go to Gary. We're gonna go Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer. Not on the list. Oh. Don't not see him on here. So Gary, back to you. Oh, oh. I, okay, all right. You still haven't gotten the, the number one ER, the ERA leader from last season. Uh, number five, number six, number seven, 
Number 12 through 15 are all still up there. All right. I'm going to try and go for the number one guy. Kind of a long shot. I think, I don't know if it's 100% right because he was kind of the number two guy behind another person, but Hinjin Ryu, I probably botched the first name. I always suck with the first name on him. Hinjin Ryu was the ERA leader across Major League Baseball last year with a 2-3-2 ERA. Ooh. A 1.01 whip. So, Gary, that's correct. Tyler, back to you. I think you've got six guys to pick from here on the list. Maybe um, let's see. I think. Um, we'll go with uh, is it Fulton, whatever his name is, and Atlanta uh, Fulta, Fulte, Fulton. Mike Fultonewitz. Yeah. Mike Fultonewitz, not on the list. So another point goes to Gary here. You guys missed Mike Soroka at a two six eight. John know. or Jack Flaherty rather two seven five. Sonny Gray, uh, Marcus Stroman, Patrick Corbin, Walker Bueller, and Shane Bieber all make the list. So two nothing to Gary. He has a chance to clinch it here on this next one, which I have not decided yet. <laughs> uh, let's do. Let's go back to hitting. Give you guys another opportunity here. We could. We're going to make things a little more interesting. We're going to go to 2018. So we're going to go another year back. All right. And we're going to do top fifth, We're going to do top 16 leaders in runs batted in. And these are all of the hitters in Major League Baseball from the year 2018 that recorded at least 100 RBIs or RBI. Hmm. Top 16. And Tyler, we'll start with you since uh, it's back to you this time to start us off. Christian Yelich. Christian Yelich tied for fourth with 110 RBI. I'm going to go with Mike Trout. Mike Trout is is not on the list. Damn it. Wait a second. How is he not? Was he injured in 2018 as well? Can I give it a look? See if I can find it? Just look up Mike Trout RBI. Because I I can't believe he would have not. I mean, I know he was injured. Yeah, he had 79. Like, real? Oh, that's right. He did have that. Yeah. I just went. So that's a point for Tyler. Well, that Tyler gets one there. Well, I got to get it again. I have to get it, right? No, you got the first. Yeah. It was a round. All right. Well, my next guess would have been Cody Bellinger. Bellinger was not on the list as well. No? He wasn't really last year. I mean, he's had good years in the past. J.D. Martinez, Chris Davis. Javi Baez, Arnold, yeah, JD was all there. We'll stick with 2018 for the fourth round, and uh, we're going to go to 2018 pitchers. We'll do the top, and I'll, I'll make this a little easier for you guys. Top 18 in strikeouts, all pitchers that recorded at least 200 strikeouts in the year 2018. And Gary, you'll start it. If you win this one, you clinch the game. All right, another big name just thrown out there, Clayton Kershaw. May have been injured that year, too. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, he dealt with an injury and is not on the list. So, Tyler, you can level it at two apiece right here. If you just name one give picture. Me, give me the Cy Young winner, the one, the only, Blake Snell. Oh, Blake Snell had 221 strikeouts in 2018, tied for 11th. And Tyler, that that is right, and you do get another point. Matt Scherzer had 300 strikeouts that year. Justin Verlander, 290. 
DeGrom, Cole, Corbin, Sale, Carrasco, Marquez, Nola, Kluber, a bunch of other guys. Fulton Evich was on that list. Charlie Morton squeaks in there his last year with the Astros. All right here. All right, now I got to come up. We're going to go back to 2019. So it's 2-2, two, two, right? Yep. Game five. What <laughs> I might do. We're going to go to baseball reference. I think we're going to do the leaders in wins above replacement for the oh, year 2019. Gosh. We should just do, like, most World Series. Like, I know like that one. We should do the top ten. Wait, no, no, like top ten, like World Series. Like, I don't know. All right, so these are going to be top ten position players. Top ten position players in wins above replacement for 2019. All position players. The lowest on the list has 6.4 wins above replacement. So anyone with 6.4 WAR it up in 2019. I think Gary starts this one out. I guess I will. Sure. Right, Gary, go ahead. Two two winner take all right here. What was the qualifying number or the number up six at least? 6.4 wins above replacement. Um, let's go with Anthony Rendon. He had a pretty good year last year. Anthony Rendon comes in at number 10 with that 6.4 wins above replacement. Barely scraping, scraping his way in. Back to Tyler. You missed this one. Gary wins. And he is the, uh, be the title holder going into next week, whatever we do next week. Uh, Christian Yelich. Yelich comes in at number seven with seven wins above replacement. All right, Gary, here we go. Miss this one. Let's go Cody Bellinger. <laughs> Cody Bellinger led all of baseball. was tied uh, at the top in all of baseball with 9.1 wins above replacement. Uh, Alex Bregman. Bregman was tied with Bellinger at 9.1. So the two guys atop the list. This is a good one. Back to you, Gary. 6.4. Um, huh. Let's, I mean, I said his name already once before. Let's see. Hopefully he doesn't fail me twice. Uh, Mike Trout. <laughs> Mike Trout, number five, 8.2 wins above replacement in 2019. Tyler, back to you. This would be the six of 10. You guys are getting close to finishing it. Um, Jose Altuve. Jose Altuve is not on the list, unfortunately. Oh. So Gary wins the round and the game. Uh, Marcus Semyon was third in baseball with 8.9. Um, Playing play shortstop, Matt Chapman, 8.3 out in Oakland. Uh, Kettle Marte, 7.2. Mookie Betts, Nolan Arenado round out the list. But that was actually very entertaining. Gary had a 2 nothing lead, almost choked it away. Hey, want to make things but, interesting. <laughs> but Gary is the, is the title holder going into next week. We'll have to figure out something else to do. Next week, Luke, unfortunately, we weren't able to get him back for the rest of this podcast. But, guys, this is a fun one. It's a long one for our listeners. Well, thank you if you still stuck around listening to these two guys try to uh, talk baseball or figure out their baseball knowledge. Uh, we talked a lot of great stuff on this show. But any final thoughts from Tyler? Uh, I didn't realize how much I missed baseball until I didn't have it. Um just absolutely devastated that it will not be starting in two days or three days. Um, and I hope it gets here soon because that is my, um, that's my therapy. That's my, that's way of calming down watching baseball. Same. Gary, final thoughts. Wash your damn hands. 
I have to agree with you there. Um, yeah, stay, stay at home. With everything that's going on, please stay at home. Please wash your hands. Please be safe. Don't be stupid. I know there are not many opportunities for you to go out and be stupid since nothing is open anymore. Um, we should be, this episode should be up on tomorrow. It's even tonight. Um, so you don't have to listen to this on a Monday. I doubt it, though. Um, if you are listening tomorrow, though, we should be back every week with, with Tomahawk Talk um, as a podcast for the time being while we cannot return to WVFS. But thank you guys for listening. For Luke Hazen, Tyler Phillips, and Gary Putnick, I'm Brett Rutherford, and this was Tomahawk Talk. New release is not up next, uh, but you might be able to listen to it on the, at the radio station every Monday. Um, but uh, we'll see you guys next week.